This is the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel, bringing you the best tactical and statistical analysis of Liverpool FC. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Analyzing Anfield, your tactics and analytics podcast, courtesy of the Blood Red channel. I'm Josh Williams and I'm joined by Mo Stewart, who I am led to believe is once again under the weather. Mo, how are you feeling, mate? <laughs> Uh, I'm, I'm, I've had better weeks. I've got COVID as it stands. <laughs> so yeah, that came to me yesterday as a nice little present. So I'm not doing great, but to be honest, last night made me feel a whole lot better. I think it's fair to say. Yeah, well, you do all that. You... This show, put it that way. Yeah, well, you're a little bit like Liverpool squad this season, mate, picking up knocks here and there, but it's nice to see you still, uh, still putting the work and still appearing on. And I'm sure Liverpool picking up a win is going to make that a lot easier. Definitely. And I mean, in terms of the Champions League standings, we can talk about the wider picture of the season and how good we are, how good we aren't. But being a little bit more secure, knowing that one more result out of two will get the job done, it it makes me feel a little bit more relaxed about everything, I think. Yeah, well, we're in a bit of a weird position here because this is, for for two weeks in a row now, we've recorded the podcast after the Champions League match rather than the Premier League. So two weeks in a row, we've recorded the podcast after a win. When if we'd have recorded two days ago, maybe it would have been a totally different podcast. And that was the same last week with, with, with the uh, the draw against Brighton, I think it might have been. So on the back of that, I know Liverpool scored seven, but I don't want to be that cheerleading podcast that are just relentlessly talking about Liverpool scoring seven times and the glory days are back and all that stuff. So we're going to try and keep the balance. We're going to try and assess things as they are rather than getting a bit carried away and things like that. But um, at the same time, I don't want to be a downer. <laughs> <laughs> so against Rangers, I mean, uh, what, what did you make of the performance more? I mean, it was probably one of them games, wasn't it, where it was a game of two halves, really. It really was. And I mean, I I watched it back this morning and it's funny because I think that the last 10 minutes of the first half are Rangers' best moments of the game. And that can kind of colour how the whole of the first half looked. But I thought we started okay, having had so much emphasis on how we start games. I thought first 20 minutes we were okay. The only problem was the two times that we lost the ball in midfield led to shots on goal for Rangers, the second of which was their goal. So you can say again, it was a positive, promising start, but then it's shattered immediately. Um, but Liverpool did well to recover from that. It was important to get a goal back soon. Kind of weathered the storm, as I said, until that last 10 minutes of the first half. But there, this was a game where there were a couple of things that were tweaked in the second half that I think really did make a difference. Uh, named the first one being... I think Firmino was instructed to get closer to Darwin Nunes. First half, Firmino was still effective. He was doing his bobby bits in midfield and linking the play. But Nunes found himself isolated a little bit too much. And his touch at the moment isn't good enough to hold it up when he's got no one within 20 yards of him. Second half, Bobby was in and around him a lot more and you can see that difference. I also think the narrowness of how we were playing it wasn't really working so well first half. It meant Rangers were able to contain us and just put a bit of a low block in. 
Second half, once again, we were able to make it work. I think Elliot in particular was really good at coming from the wing to find little pockets in the middle. So, again, you can see the shoots of recovery in how Liverpool were able to solve the problems of the first half. But I kind of tend to agree with you. I'm not going to go overboard because there are going to be very few Premier League teams who basically give up or lose all belief in the way that Rangers did last night. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, there's a fair bit to touch on around where Liverpool are at the moment, so we are going to get through that throughout the podcast. Um, but I think we'll start with, uh, I mean, you just touched on Nunes there. I think you make a good point that in the first half, he maybe didn't look great. He looked um, like his first touch was a little bit off it and things like that, which we have seen at times. But I do think against Arsenal in particular, which we can touch on a little bit considering we haven't covered it, mm-hmm. I do think it was his best game. For me in Liverpool shares, I think he was great against Arsenal. Obviously scored a goal and his link play was a lot better as well. It was. Um but I, and I feel like it for the not for the first time actually, I've felt this a few times, but it felt like in the game, whenever Nunes was in and around the ball, it felt like something was gonna happen. And that's obviously what you want from an eighty five million pound attacker. That's usually what we get with Mo Salah. Maybe a little bit less this season, and certainly less in against Arsenal. Nunes felt like the talisman against yeah. Arsenal, and in this game, I just say first half a little bit isolated. Uh, we spoke a few weeks ago, I think, more where we we touched on how Uruguay use him as part of a front two, um, and how he is maybe not the the type of player that you want to to lead an attack on his own as like yeah. a lone central striker, maybe you want a number 10 behind him, maybe you want a second striker next to him. And I think in the second half, we, we did see the benefits of of what it looks like when there's a player around him. And I think Firmino's a decent partner for him. I think Firmino is more inclined to come away from the goal. Nunes obviously more inclined to drift towards it. Uh, so as a pair there, I think they worked quite well. Um, but <laughs> Liverpool have a bit of an issue at the minute regarding that because Mo Salah came on. Yeah. And scored three in six minutes and 12 seconds to become the quickest Champions League hat-trick scorer in, in history. Um, and it was interesting that he replaced Nunes and played through the middle. So it's now an interesting little tactical dilemma now, I suppose. It's one of those where you'd say it's maybe a nice problem to have, is it? But, um, it's so, interesting, yeah, though. It really is because there are so many nuances within it because I think part of the issue Klopp has got at the moment is that of the players who he's got at his disposal taking out Diaz is injured. Most of them do their best work centrally. Even last night, if you look at Carvalho, Elliot, Firmino, Jota, those four players, when they were at their most dangerous, were operating in and around central areas. Except maybe when Carvalho, when Nunes drifted wide to the left, he was around him there a little bit. But otherwise, they all want to be central. And then, as you mentioned, Nunes and then Salah. And I think when you're thinking about the building of the confidence of Nunes, you look at he scored in two consecutive games. So he'll hopefully start to feel a little bit better in himself. This is what Klopp will have wanted by keeping him going. But then, like you say, Salah was able to be not only uh, revitalised, but deadly. That was the thing that I love most about Salah. Because we would talk about it, the, 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 the moves that got the ball towards him. 
are going to be a lot harder against Man City or anyone else because, as I said, Rangers are switched off. But once Salah got the ball, that's the bit I was interested in, how he took. Because even if you think about the very first one that um, McGregor saved very well with his legs, the beautiful touch to bring it out of the air and then a finish. And they've obviously been told to go between McGregor's legs because Firmino did it and then he tried to do it as well. But that already told me, okay, the sharpness is back. And then if you look at all of the shots, four shots, three goals, no fuss, all exactly where he wanted to put the ball. That's the part that I take from that is the fact that we don't know how and how many chances he may get in a game, a big game like against Manchester City. But if he gets them, then that's the most salary I want to see taking them. Yeah, well, it's, it's interesting when you consider the, the developments of Salah because if, if you think of a 4-4-2, you probably would be naturally inclined to put him where he usually plays, and that is on the right flank, cutting inside, using his left foot. It's not... Well, it is a bit, I suppose. It's, it is slightly different to the, the 4-3-3, but it's still him occupying the right flank, essentially. Mm. Um, but when you actually think about it and how he's developed over the past few years, he's very much now... Obviously, an inside forward, but crucially, he's now he's now thirty years old. So, I don't think Salah on the right side of the four four two would have been that much of an issue if this was twenty five year old version of of yeah. Mohamed Salah. But I think now that he's thirty, I'm not saying he's he's slower than like that, but it, it it does feel a little bit like he's more maybe efficient with his with his movements with his running. Um, a bit more goal oriented, orientated, almost a little bit like the way Cristiano Ronaldo developed. Uh, Cristiano Ronaldo, yeah, well, he obviously went towards uh, being a central striker in the end, didn't he? And got to a point in his career where he's literally doing nothing but putting the, <laughs> but putting the ball in the net. But I mean, um, it's not just him. I mean, Gareth Bale went the same way. You could argue Thierry Henry did as well. It's something that you see, like you say, forwards when they know they don't have necessarily to use that electric pace all the time so they can save it in reserve for the special moments their intelligence allows them to pick the right moments when you're central and obviously finishing is still finishing if you're in and around the goal you're still going to have that ability so I understand why they move centrally and I do think for Salah it's something we're going to see eventually the problem for Liverpool right and here right now though is that if you have Salah centrally then you really do have no width when Trent's out. Like, obviously, we had Gomez. When there's space there, he drove into it and he provided the assist for Bobby's second goal. But he's not going to have that high starting position. He's not going to be that out ball in the way Trent is. So it does mean that you are going to have to manufacture some width on the right side from somewhere, which might be the issue. Yeah. Um, if you look at Salah's season so far, we obviously don't know really whether there's been any work behind the scenes that has directly instructed him to play wider. You know, we have no real... We've all just kind of assumed that really, haven't we? It does feel that way at least. But if you look at his, his touches per 90 in the Premier League, this is the fewest touches per 90 he's averaging since he came back to England to join Liverpool um, compared to all those previous seasons. So that suggests, okay, he's touching the ball less, he's a bit less involved. And then when it comes to his shots, again, he's he's shooting less than, than ever before uh, in a Liverpool shirt. Last season, he averaged about 4.4 shots on a pair 90 basis, hmm. um, which was his best, his joint best alongside his first year when he came back and he exploded, obviously. 
um, about 4.4 shots per 90. That was this season, he's averaging just under three per 90. So you're kind of shaving about a shot and a half off his typical count last season. Um, and obviously, we saw last night, and we know anyway, that you do want this player closer to goal, finishing the moves. And the issue is you also want Nunes doing that. There was talk of Nunes being a bit of a a bit of a wide forward at times by some people. I, I, not for me. He's very much a central striker for me. He's, I think he's more traditional than many people have even suggested. I think he's a proper nine marksman. Um, so you obviously want Nunes to the middle, and you want him to also finish the moves. We've, we've touched on, we've touched before on how he's maybe not as much of a possession based player in in deeper areas and stuff. And then you have to factor in Firmino. Um, form at the minute, you know, he's yeah. I mean, I mean, it was a ridiculous performance. I thought, I thought, for me, I was brilliant just a step ahead of everyone. And in terms of his finishing, his finishing's as sharp as it's ever seen, I've ever seen it. He's, he's one of those players who, if you look back through his Liverpool career, he's gone on hot streaks before where he's got a lot of goals in a short space of time. But he gets that glint in his eye that you know he's never going to miss. And he knows he's never going to miss. And when he's in that mode, he is literally unstoppable. If you look at all of the chances, not just the goals that he scored, but the chances, whether they are, the one against Arsenal, it wasn't a very presentable chance. It wasn't like he was right in the middle of the box with no one to beat. He was out wide. He had to kind of drop his shoulder a bit, place it right in the far corner, but he did it. And that's where he is at the moment in terms of his confidence. And his influence in and around other players, as I mentioned, he was really vital when Rangers were trying to get on top in, ter- in the first half in terms of being able to come back and link play. And if he's got the finishing as well, and then we also have someone else ahead of him to be in those positions, to occupy defenders, to give him the space to drop back, then that's creating the right platform for him to work. But again, we're still getting into that same position where Kind of everybody wants to be there. Uh, they can't all yeah. be there at the same time. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. Yeah, it's it's a difficult problem really to navigate this because obviously Harvey Elliott played quite well. I thought on the right side, mm-hmm. I've got I'd have no major issues at least with with him staying there. Apart from, I don't like that he doesn't offer a threat in behind. That's that's a little bit of an issue yes. sometimes. Um, but I wouldn't have that much of a problem with that if it meant Salah can go up top, maybe next to Nunes. But then it means Firmino is getting left out. And Firmino is, as you're saying, in top form at the minute. It looks brilliant at the minute. Uh, all his finishes are just, you know, really in the corner and things like that. Proper, you know, in off the post and things. And Nunes has scored two and two. He spent 85 million for him, on him. So he's kind of in a position where he's, he's got a legitimate claim to start. And Manchester City struggled with him as well last time we, we faced them. So I'm not really sure how the... I mean, I suppose in a way you can say that it's it just allows for more rotation. But but I'm yeah. specifically speaking, you know, against City, for example, on the weekend, and I don't really know what I'd do. I mean, a, a way of... If you think of how, how we could accommodate them all in the middle, you're looking at maybe a diamond, but I don't know if I'm particularly no. keen on that, to be honest. I think... Personally, what I think is going to happen is it's going to be a starting selection of Jota wide left, Firmino central 10 position, Salah wide right, Nunes up top. And that's going to be the start. But I do think that he's going to be on a shorter leash than he was against Rangers because he was coming off just before he scored his goal on 65 Nunes. 
he'll be on a short leash. So the first change, I believe, will be him off Salah Central, Elliot out wide. Because I, I was like you. I think when I saw Elliot first doing the trying to be out and occupy those wide, I was worried about his defensive responsibilities. I do think he's getting better in terms of recognising danger going the other way. I think he's getting better in terms of being able to offer an outlet ball and maintain some width when we have none. But obviously all of these things become magnified in a game against Manchester City. So I don't think that it's necessarily where I would want him to start the game. But I do think 65-70, particularly if there's one goal in it either way, that's the move I'd be making. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the performance against Rangers does suggest that 4-4-2 four, 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 was going to stay. It uh, certainly has a defensive shape. Um, obviously, Klopp spoke about that after Liverpool suffered against Brighton. I think it was, he said that we wanted to close down different spaces when we want to manage different spaces and things. So, it looks like no matter who's injured, because obviously there was a question mark as to whether it would stay after Diaz got injured. Uh, it does look like even despite that injury and despite whoever gets injured really in a way, you, you're going to keep 4-4-2 four, 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 as a defensive system, which I don't really have that much of a problem with. But I just say it's it's getting to a weird position where lots of players want to occupy the centre. Mm. Um, I think on that, on. My, my, my only issue with the 4-4-2 four, four, is still the central two. I still think that in terms of being able to have the energy and the as in, as in the midfield yes okay yeah so in terms of having the energy and the discipline to be able to be connected but also be the screen so one thing i've been paying a lot of attention to over the last few weeks when we've been playing this double pivot is something that i mentioned i saw carragher mention on monday night football a couple of weeks ago the idea of when you're playing two in midfield when one of them goes out to press wide, the other one has to kind of cover across centrally and sit in front of the centre-halves. So if they lose the ball and it's a counter-attack, you have that extra space. And he did a really good thing with Arsenal and how they were able to do that. Now, at the moment, when you're looking at Liverpool doing it, we aren't doing that as much, particularly when it's Fabinho and Henderson. They tend to stay close together almost at all times. They're, and you can understand why they'd want to be close together, but in terms of covering the space for counterattacks, it is counterproductive. And the recovery speed is not great. Now, last night, to be fair, there was literally five seconds between Carvalho losing the ball and the ball landing in our net. So you can't really say they had much time to do any recovering. The, the mistake was made and it was bang, bang, bang. But that in itself is a problem because, again, you look forward to Man City. If Rangers can do that, you think that um, Rodri winning the ball, passing it to Foden or De Bruyne are going to do exactly the same thing? Yeah, I mean, I'm not really looking forward to the City game. <laughs> We're going to have to speak about that soon, but that, that's a scary prospect in many ways. Um, but before we get there, I do just want to touch on how I don't really want to get carried away here. Yeah, I don't want to be that guy, but it's it is important for me because we we, we would have been it would have been a different podcast a couple of days ago after Arsenal. Mm-hmm. Um, so what what I wanted to touch on was against Rangers, um, Liverpool generated about two point three expected goals um, from twenty shots. Rangers posted about zero point eight expected goals. So that's a dominant win. That's fine. That's you know absolutely no issues with that whatsoever. That's a good win. You deserve it, and all that sort of stuff. But 
Liverpool scored seven times from about two and a half XG. So what I'm getting at there is that 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 doesn't happen very often. Obviously, we know that. Um, so and, and I just want to, how would we have felt maybe if um, if, if if the match ended three one rather than seven one because that is much more of a justified score based on the chances that Liverpool created. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought Alan McGregor was miles off it. Um, yeah, it, 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 it was a, it was a bit of a weird a weird game. I thought, and sometimes finishing just happens like this. Sometimes you just have these weird random hot streaks. I remember when Liverpool scored eight or something against Crystal Palace at Selhurst Park. Um, seven, and the seven same thing happens. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. if you think about it, the last three times Liverpool scored seven or more. Well, okay, the last two times. Sorry, that game and then the Bournemouth game. It hasn't exactly kicked on from there. It yeah. hasn't been okay. Now the floodgates have opened. Those games have been anomalies. So you're absolutely right. We have to treat this exactly the same. And the fact that the opponents could not be more different <laughs> going into the weekend, I think, is probably going to help everyone keep a little healthy dose of realism involved. Yeah. Well, I, I feel the need to touch on it because I, I almost, I almost separate finishing from the performance of the team because the finishing is kind of like the unpredictable icing on the cake that either happens or doesn't in many ways and that is what will flatter a scoreline or, or the opposite sometimes um, but the actual performance of the team I don't think was that different to facing Rangers seven days earlier um, I think it was very comparable I think we were just as good on, in both games really Um you could argue it was more of a rounded performance last week in terms of both halves, whereas this this time around, we seem to really dominate the second half and almost explode when it comes to goals. Um, even Salah's second, I, th- I don't know what McGregor's doing there. I mean, that was <laughs> horrendous goalkeeper making it look. It made Salah look genius, but yeah, and yeah. I'll take I'll take that every day. By the way, but well, this is it. It's like Salah just stopped and was like, "Hang on a minute, there's a big space there. I'll just put it over there." It's like yeah. he's planning to do something completely different, and he's just like, "Hang on." No, I'll just score. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember the uh, the Merseyside derby a few years ago when Everton had Joel Robles, I think it might have been in goal, and Divock Origi scored a few times? Yes. Just horrendous position in terms of goalkeeping. And it makes the striker look genius. It makes the striker look great. But a lot of the time, it's just daft errors by the opposition almost. Yeah. I mean, like I say, the um, the, the game against Man City... If you look at the way the Rangers were playing at the time we were scoring all these goals, you can't expect that out of Man City. There's no way that they're going to be that lax at any point in the game. So you can't really take too much for it. The only thing, like I said, with Salah, the sharpness, the decision-making in and around the box, because we've seen it before when Salah feels like he needs a goal, he can snatch at things, he can become a little bit irritated, irritable on the pitch. He can take him out of his game a little bit. So him feeling that and feeling that great will be perfect. To be honest, I sense a little bit of that from Jota, even though he was still effective in this game. Obviously, he got technically he got a hat-trick assist, although one of them was a tackle. So, you know, but Jota, I think it what, 19 games, 19 Liverpool games since he last scored. That's a lot. And yeah. it will be you can tell it's playing on his mind. The one chance that he got was the only time McGregor did something good, which is basically just nip the ball off his toe. But all McGregor did was pass it straight to Elliot, who put slammed it in. So, 
Jota at the moment, he's very much in the need one to go in off his backside territory. But like I said, he's still able to affect the game. So I would still have no qualms of putting him in the inside. Yeah, I've just sent you a DM there, Mo, uh, a photo of what I'm just about to talk about at the minute. But I think one of the reasons I'm a little bit reluctant to um, get carried away with this one is if you, if you look at the, the performance against Rangers in terms of the race map, uh, which is like a basically expected goal, but it's a timeline but according to the minutes in the game. For the first half, Liverpool are arguably the worst team. For the, for, the, for the first half, it was another case of Liverpool not really dominating the opposition. And the opposition not really, you know, it's only Rangers essentially. No, no disrespect in any way, but Liverpool should be winning this game. And for the first half, it looked like another Liverpool performance where we just we, we were no more dominant than, than the opposition were. Obviously, in the second half, things are carried away and things explode. And again, that's great. It's great for confidence, momentum, rhythm, all that stuff. But in terms of performance, and and if you tie it back to what we saw against Arsenal. I don't think we were that bad against Arsenal. I think the attack is generally fine, really. Um, and I think the the, men, the mentality of the team has been criticised at times. I think the mentality of the team is, is pretty fine as well, for, for the most part, considering we came back from two goals down. Uh, so, sorry, we came back from a goal down on two separate occasions. It's just the defensive side of the game that we just we don't seem to have sorted yet. No. And um, almost the physicality of the team. You know, I, I I thought against Arsenal we looked absolutely shattered after an hour. Yeah, in terms of energy, yes, obviously strength. I think that we're doing okay in that respect. Now we're going to probably talk about Canate a little bit later on, so I won't go too heavy. But yeah, it's it's a strange malaise. And going back to what you're saying about the XG, I think the thing about it and the reason why I wasn't surprised we were behind Rangers at half time is we're still giving away high-value chances. We're not giving away a high volume of chances, but when we do, they yeah. tend to be big ones. And that is a problem. Like, you can do well for a long period of time, but if the only chance you give up is a high chance it's going to be a goal, then that does negate all of that good work. So you need to find a way to stop giving those chances away. And I do think if you look back at those chances, it all stems to... How we, how quickly opponents are able to get beyond our midfield, and our midfield's lack of ability to get back into the game. I mean, yeah. I'm not. I feel like I'm slagging them all completely. There were good things that they did in this game. There were times when they did what they were supposed to do. They intercepted well, and they shuttled across. But again, we have to talk about the value of the opposition. It's going to go up infinitely against Manchester City. I looked at the problems that Rangers were able to cause us and they were the same problems that Arsenal caused us. They were the same problems that Everton caused us. And you know that Man City have been forensically looking at us because regardless of how good we have or haven't been, Pep Guardiola is not going to be fooled into thinking this will be an easy game. He still thinks he's facing Liverpool. Liverpool's still Liverpool. So they're going to be looking at absolutely everything. And... This is a very, very, very big thing that if we can't fix, I don't know how we're going to get out of this game alive. Well, to be honest, I, I think it might be one of those fixes that can only really come in the transfer market, sadly. I think Klopp has obviously changed formation, changed the system, um, 
tampered with the the spaces that were inclined to close down and things. Trent has came up the team for Gomez. Fabinho's came up the team and and came back into the team and stuff. Um, Robertson's been in and out for, for Simicas. And I think despite all of that, it's still kind of a reoccurring theme that Liverpool look defensively open and Liverpool don't look as almost ferocious as a typical Klopp team does. Like I thought it was really, it, on the eyes at least, it looked really telling against Arsenal. Which team was hungrier, more energetic, fitter, all that stuff. Arsenal just looks so more youthful than Liverpool, yes. so much more youthful than Liverpool do. And when you when you think of what Klopp's game is, everybody knows what Klopp is about. Some coaches have identities that are very vague and ambiguous, but when it comes to Klopp, people know what Klopp's game is about. And the first thing you, many people would reference is is pressing intensity. There's a reason Linda's called his book <laughs> that uh, physicality, speed, power, all of that stuff, and. I think Liverpool probably have the power, okay, but in terms of the legs and the energy and the just relentless cover and distance and things like that, um, it's just not really there at the minute. And I, right. I do think it, it, it's probably a transfer window fix, sadly. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. I don't think that there's anyone in there in the squad at the moment who I think can come in and do that job to the level that's needed. And it is interesting because I understand why the change in system and tactics have happened because they are suiting the new players who come in. But this is what happens when you're trying to evolve. New systems aren't going to suit everybody. So as much as it might help some, it might hinder others. And it's almost exposing the, the, the problems with others. And, yeah, I'm I'm a little bit confused as to how we got into this situation, like you say, in terms of how much stock they put in physicality. Obviously, there's the elephant in the room is Naby Keita because we don't know what Liverpool would look like in Naby Keita in one of the twos. For all we know, he might have been absolutely pivotal to this idea for Klopp because in terms of energy, when he's on the pitch, he does have that. And he probably would make a difference in this kind of formation. Unfortunately, I can't magic him back to fitness for Sunday. But I do wonder whether that change would have been what Klopp was thinking of in terms of how this works. But with him around, not around, and literally no one else really able to do it to the level required, then yeah, you're right. I think he has to go into the transfer market. And if he does, you should call me because I've got a few ideas. <laughs> maybe we can do an episode on that maybe we can do a, a transfer committee episode or something like that oh yes um, but yeah even in terms of Naby though like when you think of what Naby was when he first came to Liverpool he was that industrious all action centre mid and I think he's still got the the all action elements about him a bit but maybe it's injury wear and tear almost over the years but he, he, he no longer looks he, he does almost look slow. He, he no longer looks, um, hmm. you know, an energetic buzzing around the picture and like that. Um, if you think of Wijnaldum when he first arrived, you know, covering ground, very robust and stuff. Henderson was a, has always been a, a kind of like a Jorisel bunny in the middle of the park. James Milner's always been that, but they're all just they're all just five years older. You know, yeah, and, and it's just and Thiago as well. I mean, Thiago's never been that to be fair to him, but. Even Thiago, even if he tries to be that, he's like 31, I think. 
Yeah, so, and you you can have Thiago in a midfield too if the other guy is like an Angolo Kante type two players in one. But yeah. when the other maybe, guy maybe is even Henderson, a maybe even a Bellingham. Well, exactly. <laughs> but, uh, all the people who thought we were going to get through the whole show without me- mentioning him I'm lucky but yeah. <laughs> I mean the point is is that yes he is the kind of guy but we're going to the fact if we're going to play this system consistently we're going to need more than him we're going to need three three guys to come in and be rotation options if you're going to keep Thiago as one of them and maybe look at Fabinho I think Fabinho's probably for, not necessarily fallen off a cliff. I think he's started to regress a little bit quicker than people thought. But maybe that's because we were asking him to do all of that kind of work for the last two seasons now. So who knows? Yeah, I mean, Fabinho is still only 28. And I do feel like maybe he's going to suffer more than anybody from a lack of legs around him. Um, and maybe if you surround him with, with two industrious runners, He'd look a lot better, maybe you know, covering those those gaps for him, or, or essentially. But it's it's a tricky one. But I would hope that by this time next year, in exactly twelve months, Liverpool will have at least two new centre mids by then. At, at least, you know, it's it's essential. And I think it's that the fact we didn't get those at least one of those players in the summer. Um, you know, we got Arthur. We did describe as an injury. Injury prone player, if you like, I don't like using that word, but he's now out for four months. Oh, yeah. surprises. So, I, I, I think uh, it's that decision is almost inadvertently forced us to have a bit of a transition year where we the best we can probably hope for in the league. I think it might be fourth, you know. Um, I would, I would probably take that now if you offered, if you offered me, but again, I don't want to be too much of a downer. No, I mean, um, I, 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 I one, seven, one, you know what I mean. I, all, all I'll say about that is, this, in terms of where we're at, I think it, it will change. And I think we can improve. In terms of everyone else who apparently at the moment appears to be ahead of us, how many of them will be able to maintain that is another question. I think not all, but some of the pack will certainly come back towards us in the second half of the season. Because let's face it, that's literally exactly what happened two years ago, isn't it? The teams who were looking great couldn't sustain it, likes of Leicester, and then we kind of snip them at the end. So I don't think that as much as Klopp was right to say that we can't talk about the title, I think that's gone. I still think everything yeah. else is in play. I really do. Yeah, I think one of the, one of the reasons I'm I'm a little bit lower on, on that sort of thing is because using the numbers, you can generally gauge as to whether the team have been unlucky or not when it comes to the, the results that they've picked up. And if you look at Liverpool so far this season, haven't really been that unlucky. No. Like if you look at if you look at expected points, which you don't look at very often, but it just provides a rough gauge of what you deserve compared to what you've actually got. City top, Arsenal second, funny enough, Newcastle and Brighton right up there as well. Spurs up there, West Ham, and and Liverpool kind of sitting around seventh. I mean, Liverpool have played a game fewer. Than, than West Ham and, and Spurs and Newcastle and things like that. There's still plenty of time for it to level out, but I think the fact that Liverpool are sitting around there without even having the Man City impact on your numbers, mm. which we're going to get this weekend, maybe. Yeah. I just don't think it's... I, I, I think it's, well, uh, it's a fourth-place finish season yeah, for me. But, but this is what I'm saying, is that 
if you're projecting based on the fact that nothing gets better, then yes, I agree with you. But that's what I'm saying. I do think it's going to get better. I really do. Yeah. Whether it requires someone coming in in January, which it probably will, or whether it's just more reps for uh, everybody in the system. I just think that it's just a season in transition. And as seasons in transition tend, we tend to go, they get better as they go on. I think about the season, uh, Kenny Dalglish season, where we started not great, and then we finished really well. I think about the Brendan Rogers season before we won the league, or before we nearly won the league, should I say? Before I didn't slip there. <laughs> Again, it was one that we got Sturridge and Coutinho halfway through the season. We improved massively. Those kind of transitions, even going back to Gerard Houllier, the seasons where lots is happening, we do end up getting better. So I am still yeah. hopeful that that will happen. But yeah, based on where we're at at the moment, we're not unlucky. We're just not performing. Arsenal yeah. in particular, I would say that they're not lucky either. I'd say that they are performing to that level. I just don't know whether they're going to maintain it. I mean, they've got a better squad now than they've had previously. But again, like everybody, they're vulnerable to a few injuries. And another uh, kind of bingo thing that we mentioned in every show, there's a World Cup coming. Well, I was going to say then, I think <laughs> Liverpool are probably really going to benefit from that this season. I think it's it's a very random occurrence, obviously, but it's going to allow Liverpool about five weeks without a game. Half the squad maybe will, will be in attendance with Klopp in Dubai, yeah. working on things, thinking about things, you know, all that sort of stuff. So, And a lot of Liverpool players probably won't go too far in the tournament, you'd think, um, apart from some of the England lads potentially. France and things like that, but mm. you'd like to think Klopp will probably be able to deal with a lot of his players during that five-week period, and uh, it, it could certainly improve things for the second half of the season. So yeah, I am hopeful for that. Um, but before it comes around, you've referenced it a few times already. We do have Manchester City this weekend. Mm. Um, it is going to be interesting, and I do think that. <laughs> I mean, if you if you want to find out what your flaws are. <laughs> Come up against Pep Guardiola and he'll show you exactly what you're doing wrong. So I'm interested to see almost what Pep comes up with, where he targets. Yes. And I almost think that Joe Gomez might, for this game at least, I think it might almost almost benefit Liverpool that Gomez will probably play right back instead of Trent. Because this is a game where Liverpool can win playing in transition on a counter-attack and stuff. Yes. Whereas... Trent is a lot more valuable when Liverpool are tasked with breaking down a block, essentially. Um, and if, if Gomez can play as a, as a almost a traditional right-back, um, it could allow Liverpool to just almost win the game like they won the game a couple of years ago, you know, just playing in chaotic moments on, on the break against them. I think that it's as good an option as any we've got at the moment. I agree with you in terms of Gomez might be an advantage particularly if Thiago is playing, because the other thing with Trent is that so much of our play comes through him. He's kind of like a, a fulcrum in terms of passing to everybody. So you need to have another kind of focal point and Thiago can do that. So if Thiago's in there, then that mitigates that threat, particularly. I just think when you look at Manchester City, and again, Mikel Arteta was very much a pep disciple and he would have their, their plans probably wouldn't have been too dissimilar. So he would have been able to see what Arsenal did that worked 
and say, yes, we've got the players to do that too. And they do. Uh, if you look at their midfield, as I said, we've already mentioned Rodri, mentioned De Bruyne, mentioned Foden, uh, Gundogan will probably play as well at some point, Bernardo Silva, Jack Grealish. These are all players who can find, if you are, have a structure which has weak points in it, they will find it. And so, yes, I think creating general chaos at both ends, I think will probably play into Liverpool's hands, even though there are times when it can look real ugly. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. People will be naturally inclined to, to almost worry about the 4-4-2 and, and how that has worked in a traditional sense and how it kind of allows space between the lines mm-hmm. against a team like City, who are obviously experts and, and have number 10s positioned everywhere all over the park. So in that sense, it sounds worrying, but Liverpool did use 4-4-2 a few years ago at the Etihad. Mm. And I really liked the way it worked. Rather than having your front two occupying City's centre-backs, Liverpool's front two occupied City's midfield two. Uh, in, I think it was Gundogan and, and Rodri at the time. Salah and Firmino just marked the pair of them. And um, the likes of John Stones was on the ball, centre-half. And he just didn't really have a passing option because Liverpool were cutting off cutting off the options for him. And in terms of Liverpool's wide players, uh, I think it was Mane and Jota at the time. They were really inside, almost blocking off access to the half spaces. Um, and it, it, it worked really nicely. So I do think there's ways to almost adjust the 4-4-2 to stop City. Um, it's just a case of... If City plays it to an elite standard, or if Liverpool maybe switch off in one or two moments, they, they, they can, you can just get played through at the drop of a hat and they can, they can cause real problems for you. Because unlike previous years now, City have an obvious <laughs> an obvious major threat in behind <laughs> right through the middle. Yes. In, uh, I, we had to talk about him as well, didn't we? Um it's interesting though, isn't it? Because we've mentioned earlier about Nunes being isolated and not necessarily being in the game. Haaland, it doesn't affect him at all. He can just chill until he's ready to in, ready to inject himself into proceedings. Um, although, he obviously, I'm not going to take too much out of the Community Shield game where he didn't score any because the kind of chances that he missed in that game, he clearly hasn't missed anything like that since. So I don't think we can say that there's anything in that. What I would say, though, with the players he's played against in the Premier League so far, I don't think anyone else has the speed and strength to potentially go as tight on him as Canate has. Now, obviously, normally when you play up against someone that tight, you don't want to because he can just roll you and you're away. I think Canate can potentially deal with that. I think his tactic will be to be very front foot with Haaland. He will try to get in and amongst him and be physical with him, beat him to the ball whenever he gets a chance. But City's plan will be to make him have to think about other things. So when they do decide to get Haaland the ball, he's not able to be there. So that's going to be a really interesting battle for me. Yeah, I agree. And I think, I mean, he's definitely out of form, but but it's it also applies to Van Dijk as well. You know, Liverpool do have the centre-halves to maybe cope better than anybody else in Wales, arguably 1v1 with, with Haaland. Um, 
But he is a, a special case, and I think he's played on the field before and scored as well. Yes, he has. Uh, yeah. But if you look at his numbers for the season, anyway, we haven't done this yet. So his numbers for the season, he's currently top of the league for shots on 38. Uh, 20 of those have found a target. Um, and he's currently overperforming expectation by about 5.8 goals which again places him top of the Premier League. So mm. that suggests that he's getting lots of shots. And in addition to getting lots of shots, he's finishing to an elite standard as well. Um, for a bit of perspective, Firmino, who feels like he's finished to an, a, an elite standard as well, is overperformed by 3.1 goals. Haaland, 5.8. So some some people, would, would you could suggest that might come down. You know, it's unsustainable almost, but then... You also have to factor in just how many of his goals are coming from inside the six-yard box. Exactly. You know, he's, 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 it's a tap-ins. Well, that's what I was going to say, is that he, he has so many of those, he's never going to get into a situation where he starts snatching at the other chances because that's probably why he's able to do so many elite finishes for the ones where he's uh, outperforming his XGs because he's already comfortable loose because he's already had a tap-in in that game. So... It does, those kind of things do make a difference when it comes to how he converts his chances. But the other thing that I always think is stunning about him, and I kind of touched on it earlier, you mentioned his shots numbers. Um, one in every four touches is a shot. So he's not <laughs> wasting his time on the pitch at all. You know what? He's, he's, a, he's doing exactly what I kind of wanted Nunes to be doing when, when we spoke in the summer about these two new players at Liverpool and Manchester City. I literally remember saying both players will be passengers at their respective teams. Whichever passenger is integrated more effectively, if you like, will will, will explode or, or, or do better. And Haaland is obviously embracing the fact that he's not interested whatsoever in getting on the ball. He can allow everyone else to do that and he can just kind of put it in the net. Um, if you look at the numbers for the season... Jamie Vardy and Brennan Johnson at Nottingham Forest are the only two players who average fewer touches than than Haaland on a pay ninety basis. Um, once consider well, Callum Wilson in there as well. Callum Wilson's probably played enough games for to also fit the criteria there. But but that's quite a weird start considering Haaland's playing for Manchester City, who we know dominate the ball. Mm-hmm. You know, seven hundred passes a game or whatever it is. Um, but, but he's the just thing, embracing his role. He is embracing his role, and I mean, I'm kind of taking the piss a little bit when I say he's just chilling because what he is doing is he is occupying defenders because defenders are currently terrified of him. Like, like I say, at the moment they don't know whether to drop off uh, and to try because they know about his speed in behind or whether to try and get up in tight. They can't really do either. So his kind of presence is making defence do things that they shouldn't be doing otherwise, and it's giving spaces to everybody else. So they've got all these players who are able to utilise and manipulate that space. So when the time comes to make the final touch, Harlan's just there. And again, it's it sounds devastatingly simple, but it works. Yeah. The big question, obviously is how do you stop him? And um, it's a tricky one, obviously. I think I think the natural answer would be cut off the supply. 
But the, the issue with cutting off the supply is you probably cut off the supply by, by pressing a bit higher and, and keeping the ball as far away from them as possible almost. But though that, that one, two opportunities where City break the press and can play a passion behind, he's absolutely lethal when it, when it comes to that. So it, it is a difficult tactical problem to have. He, he's such a tactical weapon that he... You, there's no real answer to um, to stopping him because even if you're sitting in a low block, he's got the movements and the height to just still score tappings. Um and he's a massive threat in behind, of course. So that's the opposite. So it's one, just a, it's a weird, a weird opponent to face. He really is. Uh, the one thing I wouldn't do is ask for Nikola Schlotterbeck for any advice because he clearly doesn't know. <laughs> <laughs> he he, made, he apparently said that he knew all about how to stop Haaland before the game, and yet in the game between Borussia Dortmund and Man City. Haaland basically waited until Schlotterbeck was subbed on and then scored. Almost <laughs> as if to make the point that, no, mate, yeah. you don't know. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be interesting to see how we get on here. Uh, I, w- I would be, to be honest, mixed on how the season's gone. And this almost, almost feels like a bit more of a free hit than previous years. I would almost be tempted to go a bit mental. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, Almost reverse it back to uh, a few years ago when we won 4-3 against City. And we just did that through utter chaos and um, high pressing and, and taking advantage of moments. The crowd, obviously. And I think in this case, considering we're now playing with four forwards some weeks, I think you do need to be... What I'm feeling behind us, I think Klopp would have grounds here to just kind of almost be brave and just kind of go for it. But the, the issue is... City obviously posed the prospect of just um, absolutely embarrassing you at the, at the opposite end if the if Liverpool are anywhere near as often as they have been throughout the season. So, I mean, I'm glad I'm not Jurgen Klopp in this case. Yeah, I was I was going to say it's it's a free hit up to a point. Like, yeah, if you <laughs> yeah. lose the game five 0 then I don't think it's a free hit anymore. But yeah, in the way that these games have been the most pivotal game of the season for both teams in the last three or four years, I don't think it's that. It's strange, and I feel like I need to mention it simply because it might be about to go. Jurgen Klopp is still yet to lose back-to-back league games as a Liverpool manager. And, and Jurgen, uh, uh, Virgil van Dijk as well. Yeah, and Virgil's never lost at home in the league, still. Yeah, yeah. So we might as well shout those out while we still can. <laughs> <laughs> Well, considering the size of this game, obviously, I mean, it's not really a title game anymore. Is it? It's not really that much of a big game, I suppose. But um, given this Manchester City, it's Anfield. We will do predictions for the first time in a while, I think. So, Mo, what are you saying, mate? I'm really disappointed that you're making yeah, me do this. I, I will say as well, this is analysing Anfield. So, you can be honest. Don't, don't feel like you have to, you know, put your red cap on. Good. Because I think City are going to win. I think Liverpool <laughs> does. I do. I think City are playing good enough to deal with our best right now. And I just, I think that we'll play, it will be a performance where Liverpool will be in the game. I think it'll be a performance where you'll be able to point to certain things that Liverpool did really well. I think we'll score, but I still think City will win. You're not going to say a scoreline? 3-2. Do you know what? That's that's what I was leaning towards. I, I think Liverpool have 
the firepower to cause anyone problems. You know, we've just scored two against Arsenal and we scored seven against um, uh, Rangers just gone. And in, in, in a lot of games this season, Liverpool have found a net. It's not, it's not being the issue. That's why I'm so against the whole argument that Liverpool are missing Sadio Mane. Liverpool are fine going forward. Um, it's defensively. And we're coming up against probably the best second team in the world at the minute with the most informed striker in the world at the minute. So I think I wouldn't be surprised if Liverpool could see three. Yeah, I think it's absolutely possible. And I think on, on the Liverpool end of things, I think we might get two if, if we kind of... you. I don't know, if we, if we use the moments, if we kind of play in the chaos and take our chances and stuff. So it's going to be interesting to see. Hopefully Liverpool will do a bit more than that. Hopefully Liverpool will get a result. I wouldn't rule that out. I do think set it's possible. Set pieces strong. Set piece... We've yeah. still been scoring goals from set pieces. I think that's still a way home. Obviously, Canate is going to play. Uh, I, I wouldn't be against putting a cheeky anywhere at any time goal scorer on Canate from a score, big big header from a corner. But it's going to be a tough game. It's going to be a tough game. Yeah. There's no getting around <laughs> it. Like I'd love yeah. to be wrong. I would never love to be wrong more than I am right now. But yeah. No, no. I, I just think Liverpool maybe also have the, the, the kind of grounds at the minute to, to play a bit like they used to with City, which is on the break and in a, with a bit more chaos rather than going toe-to-toe. And I think that could benefit us if, we, if the likes of Salah, Jota, um, Nunes are, are really on it and they're really cutthroat when they're going straight through Manchester City and things like that. But we'll see anyway. But hopefully... Liverpool pick up a win and hopefully the season does get back on track as as our 7-1 victory over Rangers suggests. But, um, Mo, thanks for joining us, mate. No problem. I am about to go right back into bed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all the best for that. Uh, I, I, I'm sorry to hear that you've got it. Like I've, I've had it twice myself, I think. So, yeah, absolutely nightmare that. <laughs> uh, but hopefully Liverpool will do you a favour. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah, so thanks for tuning in and uh, we will see you next week. You've been listening to the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel.